This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And away we go with this morning's Bob Olin Show here on the 9th of January. Good morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Dave, and welcome back into the new year. <laughs> yeah, which has been quite an interesting winter so far. I think we're finally getting some winter at this point with the snow on the ground now and cold weather coming up this weekend. Yeah, I heard that forecast, high of zero, is that correct? Yeah, both uh, uh, Sunday and Monday, highs around zero. I guess we got to kind of expect it. <laughs> yeah. um, that Christmas with rain, and I happened to be out, I yeah. decided to cover up a little bit of garlic, so I got mud boots on, and literally <laughs> I could not believe, of course this is ground that I'd tilled and planted a month or so earlier than that, a month and a half, and here I was uh, about 8 or 10 inches in the muck wow. on Christmas. So I just can't uh, can hardly fathom that. And I've talked with others that have been out excavating. They say that uh, there was plenty of moisture down there. Now things are going to freeze down a little bit. Right. And, um, you know, we just uh, don't have any idea of what this weather is going to be going forward. It's uh, kind of interesting times in which we live, isn't it? Absolutely. Although it seems a little more uh, normal, I guess, for the upcoming couple of weeks. So we'll see. Yeah, I remember when normal, when the highs were below zero and uh, 20, 25, 30, 40 below. So uh, I don't know what's normal any longer. Things are definitely uh, warming up a little bit here. You know, along that same line, uh, Dave, uh, just last November, the U.S. Department of Agriculture uh, reintroduced uh, and updated their plant hardiness zone map. And where this is so important to us uh, growing in uh, northern uh, Minnesota, northern Wisconsin. Uh, like I tell people, when we take a look at plant selection, you're going to plant an apple tree, and you might love one particular variety or another. And I always tell them, first and foremost, an apple's going to live 30, 40, 50 years if everything's done right. First and foremost, you got to get it through the winters over an extended period of time. So this is where the plant hardiness zones become uh, so very, very critical. I'll use as an example the University of Minnesota's introduction, Honeycrisp, which, of course, uh, really got things started and it led to a a whole series of new introductions, some that are really spectacular. Honeycrisp went throughout the world, uh, literally grown first in in Minnesota, of course, and then in Wisconsin, and then over to the Pacific Northwest, some of the major commercial apple production regions in the United States and the world, for that matter, went over to Japan and to New Zealand, and uh, so it became very, very popular. And uh, the interesting thing, it changed a little bit when it grew in different uh, climates, so hence uh, the university in future introductions restricted where some things are going to be grown. As a matter of fact, that introductions it had two names. If they're going to be licensed and grown in Minnesota or the Midwest, they had one name, and if you chose to grow it outside of the area and they were released outside of the area, they gave it a second name because... With honeycrisp, some of the quality began to decline when it was grown in different climates. So plants are very, very climate-specific, and uh, you want to be aware of that. You want to find what grows in your area, first what gets through the winter, and then uh, how it performs for you in your area. So I think it's best, really, to stay to those varieties we know are going to be winter-hardy. Honeycrisp is a great example. It was introduced as a Zone 4, and once again, the USDA plants hardiness zones go from one up in the Arctic to seven down in the tropics. So it's related to the average uh, minimum winter temperatures over a 30-year period. So uh, we're not looking at a year or two. And it it was kind of interesting because Honeycrisp was introduced as zone four, which typically is an area along the lake in Duluth or Superior. That'd be zone four. You get up over the hill here in Duluth, 
and we're down into zone uh, zone three, although that's changing a little bit. Farther north you get, obviously, uh, uh, zone three is very common. We had zone two not too long ago, but when uh, this uh, when the plant zones were last changed in 2014, we lost all of the zone two in St. Louis County and pretty much up to the border, and everything became uh, zone three, a little bit warmer, hmm. and that seems to be the case. But anyway, uh, Honeycrisp was introduced as a zone four apple, but as so spectacular that a lot of people planted it farther north in St. Louis County. They had real good results with it. I'm one of those people. I'm over the hill, so I'm really in zone three. Yeah, over the hill in more ways than one. Every time I say that, <laughs> yeah, we're both over the hill, even though I live by yeah, the I lake. Have to pinch yeah. myself a little bit, but. Uh, I'm away from the lake, don't have any lake effect where I, I grow a lot of my materials. And uh, I uh, I was really zone three, introduced or planted Honeycrisp along with so many other people because it's such a spectacular apple. Very, very happy with it for about 10 years. And then we got a real, real tough open winter like we might yet get here. We've got a little snow on the ground, but not a lot. But we had a couple of open winters and sadly it began to decline. And I had to take it down uh, eventually last year. I had to take a chainsaw to it and prune it ground level because it just, the winters had gotten to it. So oh. Honeycrisp, great apple. If you're zone four, uh, by all means, that's where it was introduced. And the university reminded us they do freezer studies for hardiness. And they said, we never introduced that as a, as a zone three tree. So if you've been lucky, you've been fortunate. And uh, that was the case there. So hardiness, plant zones, paying attention to the plant zones when you're planting principally perennial material. Now, that can be woody perennials like an apple or a shrub of one type or another, your azaleas and other things, or it can be ornamentals, so flowering uh, perennials. So, But it really, the hardiness zones have nothing to do with the annuals. They have nothing to do with the length of our growing season. They have to do uh, strictly with whether or not we can get plants through cold winter periods for extended periods of time, Dave. All right. But, we got a new map, and we can talk about that. It's kind of interesting, for sure. Ah, very good. We'll talk about that new map when we return with the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. And we are back with Bob Olin Show. And, Bob, we do have a question already this morning. Good morning. Who's hey. this? Hey, Don here from Iron River, Wisconsin. Hi, Don. Bob, well, the, uh, good morning, Don. Nice to hear from you. What's, what's the vegetable of the year? Oh, <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I, quite honestly, do not know. I'm going to have to check for you, and I'll get back to you. You know, and I'm assuming you're you're uh, going along with the uh, Duluth uh, vegetable year. There are different vegetables. Just one second. Maybe I can find that for you, if hmm. you can hold, or maybe after the next break I'll look it up for you. Okay, Don? Next, uh, next break, I'll be the radio. Why don't you do this, Don? Why don't you give me your zip code? Where? What is the Iron River zip code? Five four eight four seven. Okay, one second. Five four eight four uh, four seven. I was uh, discussing, as you heard there, a little bit about this new uh, plant hardiness zone. By Gino, you got your zip code right. It comes up for me as Iron River, Wisconsin. And right. uh, let me see here. This is interesting. Uh, your plant hardiness zone has not changed. You are 4A over there, so that's kind of nice. In other words, you can grow a honeycrisp apple. Do you grow any apples, Don? Um, no, I don't. I grow lots of stuff, but no apples. Lots of stuff, but no. Lots of annuals, lots of vegetables? Lots of veggies. I probably have over 400 veggies. 
every wow, year. That's, wow. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, I've got a real serious gardener on the phone here, so this is <laughs> do, do you uh, do you preserve a lot of that? Can freeze dry? Can or do you get hydrated uh, freezer? Um, lots of uh, container gardens. I've got seven raised beds. Oh man, this is fantastic! Sometime we'll have to get you on the line. I'd love to love to see what you're doing. This is uh, this is really great. You know, it's very interesting, Don. I spoke to a group, and this is an aside. This was in um, Duluth, uh, West Duluth, and it was a technology firm. They had a lot of new hires, and they asked me to come in. We have people that are interested in gardening, and the thing that shocked me about it is, out of that whole group, all young men and women, uh, but young, I'd say 25. They were all new hires. Uh, all the programmers, for the most part, only one had any kind of a garden. Most were in apartments, which is maybe uh, typical somewhat of uh, the urbanization in the United States. I was a little startled because I'd, most of my people are folks like you. Most people in our audience have got a little more space, a little more room. A lot of them are preserving and uh, and putting away, particularly as, as food costs have gone up. But uh, we've got uh, two groups out there, and we've got a group that um, is interested. They're going to have to, if they're going to stay in those smaller apartments, they're going to have to go to baskets, hanging baskets, or containers. Don't necessarily have the luxury of a little bit more room and space. But in your situation, are you motivated by the, the quality of what you're doing? Are you, are you concerned about economics? Or what? how did your garden get that large, Don, if I can ask? Both reasons. Uh, my favorite crop, I probably have over 100 stalks of uh, asparagus. Asparagus, fantastic. And there's nothing like fresh-grown asparagus, is there? Huh. That's wonderful. And you can't beat the price. You grow yourself. You can't afford to buy it in a store. Well, you're absolutely right. I'm glad you pointed that out. There is a definitely a very high-value crop. Not only that, most of what we're buying in the store comes in from outside of the country, and uh, we don't know exactly how it's being raised and what's being used to produce it. And the nice thing about growing your own is in our asparagus, I'm assuming you don't have to use any pesticides, do you, to produce a good crop? No. Most of the uh, asparagus comes from Mexico that I believe is correct. And it's all organic. I make my own soil, too. You make your own soil and everything else. So this is uh, this is one of the real advantages. We uh, When I polled, we had a group of uh Community gardeners, I opened up a great big community garden. It had uh, 200 families on it. When I initially opened it up, it was economics was their motivation for getting on board. Times were a little tough in the area at that time. Times got better, and the people went back to the grocery stores, had more money in their pocket. But uh, and we had a decline in interest, and then suddenly a new surge. The new surge, when I pulled them again, it was because they were interested in the food security, food safety, food quality, growing it organically and this is obviously one of your motivations as well there so and now it's kind of interesting we see with the uh, this food inflation that we've had that people are going back and are interested in producing high quality and actually trying to save a little money in the process so uh, I really enjoyed this conversation we're going to see what our vegetable of the year is and we know what yours is asparagus very obviously one of the great ones <laughs> I want to ask you something real quickly. Do you know varieties, or have you stayed with one variety? We have a newer introduction called Millennium that is a, a very nice uh, asparagus variety that came in from the University of Guelph in Guelph, Ontario, I believe it is. Um, uh, do you have a variety that you're really happy with there? No, I started out with uh, New Jersey, and it's been in the ground for seven, eight years now, and I Take, I've got one female plant 
and I take the uh, red berries and I move them around, plant them, so I got more stuff growing. Oh, fantastic. So you're letting it come from seed then. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, in addition to the crowns themselves moving, you've been able to establish that kind of a bed. What was the variety again? I missed that. Uh, New Jersey. I don't recall New Jersey. what it is. Jersey Kings, yes, the, the Jersey series. Now, it's interesting. Great series, developed initially at Rutgers and then moved yeah. out. We had a major, major producer, but that producer either retired or went away, so we don't have that Jer- Jersey series available any longer. So hang on to what you've got and uh, continue spreading it. But I like uh, I like that thought. I like the idea. Start with some asparagus. They all take some time, but time goes by faster than we realize, and then eventually you have, as you point out, an extremely valuable crop and very, very high quality. Uh, I really appreciate this call, Don. We'll get you some information on the uh, the vegetable of the year, if it's been in yeah, so I, I far. Yeah, I spread around okay? my neighbors, so they are starting to grow asparagus, too. Ah. That's that's just great. I think it is a great crop. Uh, I've got some in myself. Uh, good drainage and full sun. I've got a couple of uh, beds that didn't do real well, and uh, I think it, I know it's because of the shade in that area. But uh, full sun, good drainage, and a little time, and asparagus is pretty easy for us to grow. That's fantastic. Really appreciate the call, and thank you for uh, sharing some of your thoughts with us this morning. Lots of fun. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye now. That's very nice. Yeah, and uh, we're going to talk, I guess, new maps. How are we looking here in the Twin Ports? Any changes? Well, I mentioned with Iron River, there were no changes there. Now, and uh, it's kind of interesting, uh, and according to USDA, now this this was released in November of just this last year, and Mm -hmm. that's about a nine-year interval since they released the last one in, in 2014. And about half of the zones in the throughout the United States went up in other words, warmed up a half a zone. So wow. each zone is divided on average by a 10 degrees Fahrenheit difference. So minus 20 to minus 10. Uh, the half zones, which are labeled as A and B, are five-year increments. So we'd say minus 20, they went down average to minus 15 if things warmed up. That would be a half a zone. So if you went from uh, 3A to 3B, that would be a five-degree differential. So half of the zones uh, warmed up one half of a unit, in other words, A to B or B uh, B to the next zone, A, mm-hmm. and then half remained the same. In the case of Iron River, it remained the same. In the case of where you are in Superior, mm-hmm. Superior, Wisconsin, it remained the same. Okay. Uh, we're about 4B to 4B, so you're a little warmer. You're getting close to that, uh, uh, the ultimate uh, five, zone 5. <laughs> zone 5 up in Bayfield is a very warm zone, and that opens yeah. up a lot of additional plant material to us. But you didn't move a- at all there, but you're a warmer zone, so you can grow your honeycrisp apple there. Uh, Duluth proper down near the lakeshore didn't move a zone either. That remains about 4A, just a little bit colder than the are in Superior. Mm-hmm. But when you get up over to the hill, uh, in that case, with no lake effect, we moved a zone up. So we moved from uh, 3B to 4A, so anyone uh, probably, if you have no lake effect, if you're Hermantown or farther north uh, than that, uh, you might want to come back. It's my situation. I think I'm going to come back and uh, and plant another honeycrisp this spring <laughs> because it seems like things are warming up and I'm going to have just a little bit better long-term success with it. Dave, uh, while we're on that topic, I took a look at uh, the Iron Range area and a lot of the areas, Chisholm and Hibbing, mm-hmm. they remained about the same, but they are 3A, so they're considerably colder 
still going to be a challenge to grow some of our uh, materials in the in that particular part of St. Louis County. All right. So it's very interesting. We've got an interactive map. We can talk a little bit more about that. You can punch in your zip code, as I did for down there in Iron River, yeah. and you can see just to where you might be at. So that's uh, one new innovation that they've introduced, USDA plant hardiness uh, zones, for sure. All right, Bob, we'll be back. Uh, more of the Bob Olin Show is on the way as the morning show continues here on KDIL, just about 935. And away we go. The Bob Olin Show continuing here on KDAL. And Bob, uh, the previous caller wanted to know what the vegetable of the year is. I assume they change that each and every year then, right? And where is this yeah, uh, they, out of? They do. It's uh, part of the Duluth Community Garden Program. Ah, okay. And I have, an, I have an answer for Don. All right. Uh, this this year it's going to be corn, a sweet corn, ah. I'm assuming, of course. So that's going to be very interesting because... Uh, uh, you know, we've got a lot of great varieties. That's a warm season crop. We can mm-hmm. do a real good job with sweet corn. It also has some challenges. And for community garden plots, because it takes a little bit of room, yeah. uh, you're going to you're going to have you can certainly grow that out, but you're going to probably get a meal or two out of a smaller space. So it has its uh, it's a great crop. It's a favorite for a lot of folks. For us, this far north, yeah. uh, being a corn grower for lots and lots of years. Uh, I have uh, experienced all the challenges that come along with growing that particular crop. But that's fun. It's going to be, uh, I know, very successful as a designation. So Don, who's got some space over there in in Iron River, uh, have that with sweet corn, and I'd love to hear what your reaction is to that, Don. That was a nice conversation with this Mm -hmm. gentleman, and uh, I should have uh, been well aware of that. I usually track that, and now we all know. Okay. Okay? Yeah, how do we, uh, are there different varieties of sweet corn that you have to worry about? Different varieties. Man, there's genetics like you can't yeah. believe in sweet corn. Wow. Uh, sweet corn, our original varieties uh, were sweet, obviously. And, of course, different than field corn. Field corn, which is uh, barely edible, of course, mm-hmm. and it's the main uh, source of animal feed and all kinds of other products. But uh, sweet corn has a, a higher sugar contents. Uh, it's a fussy crop to grow compared to field corn. It, um, it's got a tender, what we call pericarp. That's the outer layer, so hence uh, it's very, very edible. Mm-hmm. And uh, was originally uh, was originally white in color, and in some parts of the United States, white sweet corns are all they want. The Northeast in particular, white is the premium sweet corn. Uh, for us in the Midwest, it was always yellow, and now we've got bicolors, which have kind of taken over. Half the kernels are yellow, half the kernels are, are white. And... Um, We've got all kinds of newer introductions. Uh, I'll just put this, call this group the Super Sweets, and there are all kinds of uh, Super Sweets, lots of designations. If you're picking varieties, I will say this, because you're going to have to be careful. Uh, make sure that you select varieties that are in the same category. We've got what's called SE. We've got SE Enhanced. We've got uh, Super Sweets. We've got SUs. We've got Augmented Super Sweets. So if you're going to plant an SD corn, sugary enhanced, make sure that it's being pollinated by, or if you're going to put two varieties in, I should say, uh, make sure you stay to two SEs so that they can uh, cross-pollinate. When you mix up the pollens on these new varieties, you can get some real bizarre results, including some very, very tough kernels and uh-huh. some kernels that just don't uh, fully pollinate so you don't get a nice full ear. So that'll be fun. It'll be fun to talk about uh, corn this year as we as we go forward because uh, certainly lots of uses for it, and it is a certainly is a gardener's favorite. You know, it's kind of interesting. We talk about um, here's a gentleman that's uh, that's found asparagus to be a very very uh, high quality premium crop for him, mm-hmm. and uh, takes a little bit of room to grow. 
kind of interesting because I saw another interesting statistic in the United States where we have a population of a little over 330 million, uh, but we've got uh, maybe 80 or 90 people that are, are gardeners, consider themselves real gardeners, so maybe about a little under a third. And I thought, well, maybe uh, you know it is the number one hobby in the United States. And of course, from the Midwest, we we have a much higher percentage than one third of gardeners. We got a lot of gardeners out there. Right. And uh, but uh, this would consider all the children in the United States when we look at a third, and a lot of those aren't gardeners unless they're gardening with their family. And now, of course, we've urbanized, and I relayed this experience even in in Duluth, which is a small town. I guess a small city, you'd have to call it now. But right. there are a lot of folks that. Uh, are away from the farm from several generations and have never gardened in their life. So we're introducing this to some uh, some new folks. One of the uh, one of the most enjoyable hobbies. Of course, I'm a little biased that way, but it has so many uh, wonderful benefits. We talk about uh, saving on the food bill, so there are some economics. If you do things right, if you don't do things right, it can be kind of an expensive hobby. But uh, there's some return there. There certainly is quality nutrition. You can control exactly the the uh, the quality of your particular product, and there's all, also the physical benefit of uh, good health being out there and working in, in the brightly lit sunny time of the year, and then also just getting uh, some kind of a psychological perk from being able to grow a little of your own. And of course, a little bit of uh, the disappointments that can come from challenges, and last year I'll tell you we had some challenges, and we can expect that going forward as well. But in that, uh, we also learned that uh, life isn't always just a bed of roses. Uh, you're going to have some challenges that come along with your successes. So lots of good reasons to be gardeners, and I'm confident that this hobby is going to continue to grow this year based on the number of catalogs I've seen. Yeah. Uh, we know that this is a very, very uh, successful and very, very viable uh, hobby going forward. So it's going to be a lot of fun this year, and we don't know what the weather is going to bring, Dave, that's for sure. You never do. <laughs> Let's uh, head to the phones. We got another caller, Bob. Hi, who's this? Hey, Don Cullen again. Oh, hi, Don. Hey, hey, I tried to go down corn, and the squirrels got all my corn. Oh, they like it better than I do. Yeah, the squirrels and crows. I I swear they're watching it when you put it in the ground. Uh, Don, <laughs> that's this. This is going to be interesting because. Uh, as much as we enjoy sweet corn, uh, it has challenges. Uh, squirrels will take that seed out of the ground. Uh, crows love it. I swear they watch, and I've seen them. You know, we put it in the ground, and I've seen a flock come in and pick it out almost as fast as we put it in. And I've experienced uh, challenges with just about every critter out there taking once it matures. Uh, deer love it, of course. Raccoons. I have uh, 101 raccoon stories as I've had to fight some of those critters. <laughs> And, um, you know, deer and raccoon are, are probably the worst. We get skunks that love it. They can tear it down. And I've even had two, two-legged two critters that have uh, taken some of my crops. So it, it's a challenge. It, it's a warm-season crop. We can't go too early. A lot of people that don't want treated seed, the reason that's the pink stuff, the fungicides that's on that seed, a lot of people would rather avoid that. But then you have to go very late in the season because – that uh, that corn kernel, particularly some of the newer varieties, when you get them down in the ground, uh, they are very vulnerable to cold soils. And I'm assuming, again, we're going to have some cold soils. So we're kind of challenged here because you want to let the soil warm up so that the seed germinates. And yet you've always got this uh, growing season issue where uh, we got to get it mature for before that first frost so we can go later into early June 
but we can't go too late because we got to get it out at the other end before we get a frost. So warm season crop, great crop. Uh, we're going to do it again. We always come back and try, and we always get cord, but we don't always get everything that we uh, we anticipated. It seems like we're sharing it with a lot of other critters out there. <laughs> so thanks for your return yeah. call on that one. Sounds like maybe hey, can, a fence. Can I boast a little bit? I'm sorry? Can I boast a little bit? Because according boast, to the please. Please boast. <laughs> I I grow five of the seven hottest peppers in the whole world. Ooh. Wow, that's interesting. You know, peppers, Dan, if you're aware, have become very, very uh, uh, popular as well. Hot. We can call uh, it very hot. Very hot. Yeah. yeah. You know, I only go up to uh, <laughs> Alapena's about as, as hot as this uh, Scandinavian can take. But tell us about your success. Have you grown any of the Carolina Reapers, any of those varieties? Carolina Reapers, they they are no longer the hottest peppers in the world. Like scorpion peppers are the hottest now. Mm. Ah, they're called scorpions. And they got the old Scoville index on them. What varieties have you been successful with? Well, I do. Can I do a plug? Because I buy them from Wentworth and Iron River Hardware Hank. Oh, okay. And you put in what the, what they have available in the trade, and it's worked well for you. Yeah, they're plants already, not seeds. Okay. Okay, that that's one of the keys. You know, we've done quite a bit of work. Uh, the hot peppers uh, certainly have a lot of interest right now, but. It's the large, colorful bell peppers that are a little sweeter that are really, uh, and we see them in the grocery stores now. They almost, uh, I wonder where some of those are coming from. They almost look a little too good to me to be, uh, they're certainly not locally grown this time of year or even in season. But uh, we've got a new introduction uh, that you might consider trying. It's called Red Impact, and it's actually one of the uh, pepper varieties that was developed and grown initially in Spain. It's about a 70-day red bell pepper that hopefully will mature for us. Very sweet, uh, very del- very um, high quality, and nice thick walls. So, but it is a sweet pepper, not a hot pepper. But there's a lot of interest, I think, in some of our programming uh, this spring. We're going to go back and, and take a look at uh, pepper production. We've learned a little bit, but starting... Starting when things are warm and starting with larger plants is one of the real keys to getting nice, mature, uh, red and colored peppers in this area. So congratulations on uh, on your success there, Don. And maybe uh, when we're done with the call, if you're willing to share a phone number, we could discuss things off the air as well because it sounds like you're a very, very interested uh, gardener there. And lots of fun. Thanks for the call. Thanks for the, return. Thanks for the call. You bet. 9.47, we've got to take another break. It's the uh, morning show and uh, the Bob Olin Show going strong here on KDAL. Bob Olin Show here on KDAL, 9th of January. Bob, is the Christmas tree still up in the Olin household? <laughs> it still is, but it's been right. fading fast. <laughs> uh, as the days get longer, now you're our, uh, our best monitor of day length. How are we doing on the day length? It seems like we're, we're obviously past the peak. Days are getting longer. Well, right? yeah, days they are getting longer, longer, slowly but surely. 7.53 was sun up this morning. 4.39 will be sunset this afternoon. Okay, uh, and that sunset as soon as we get uh, yeah. a little day length after 4.30 and that uh, commute for a lot of folks home, that's really a relief, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. It's uh, it's trending the right direction now, anyway. It's a good thing. We're going the right way, yeah. and this will accelerate a little bit, particularly when we get in the month of February. That's mm-hmm. when it seems like it really begins to open up. So 
Uh, we're on our way uh, to a better, certainly a better growing season. You know, uh, we don't know what's coming, and I'll tease you a little bit. We're going to do two programs. I'm going to take a look at some of who I'm calling Weather Watch or, or something <laughs> like that. And uh, we had such a remarkable year last year. Of course, we had all that snow, the set records, and then we got set records being so dry during our planting period, May and June, and then a very moderate but sunny uh, growing season during the mid-season. And then we hit the real droughty conditions, particularly in some areas. Now, I know we got a lot of listeners on the Minnesota Iron Range, Chisholm and Hibbing. Uh, you had a little more rain than we did down here, but got very dry. We got a lot of listeners down in the Carlin area. That was a, the epicenter of the, of the drought in, in northeastern Minnesota, so they know what dry is all about. And then all of a sudden we hit the month of September, and we had uh, uh, record rains in September. And then we had rain all the way into December. So... This was one of the more remarkable weather years that I can ever remember. And uh, I have no idea what's going to happen this next year. We obviously think we're very thankful we got some snow on the ground for its insulating value before we got these zero temperatures. So, Dave, we're we're fortunate that way. Even if it's a few inches out there, that's going to help because obviously temperatures are going below zero for us here in January, as we would expect. So that's going to help. Hopefully we didn't get frost or don't get frost in the ground too deep so that when we get our spring melt, we get some of this moisture down in the ground, and that's going to help us uh, with our spring planting, whether you're putting in an apple tree or you're putting in sweet corn. It'll be interesting to see how many people now decide they're going to give sweet corn a try. Don't go too early on that one, though, is my my advice, and uh, be very careful with your variety selections, and then you're going to be rewarded, but uh, there are few little things and we can talk about that when we get closer to, to right. planning time yeah it sounds you know, like Dave, a, little, a little research might be needed there to come up with the right uh, the right crop well yeah we've got a variety recommendation list of course oh, okay. and, um, but in terms of research uh and if you want to have some fun get into the genetics of sweet corn because <laughs> I've, I've been there and with the folks down to the illinois uh, seed foundation and uh, some of the breeders i know some of the breeders personally and it's uh it's very interesting, like with a lot of things, we're getting new introductions, but uh, we are just a little bit out of the prime corn-growing region, so we have to we have to use our own little techniques uh, here to get uh, get that early crop. But it's, it's a great crop. It'll be a fun crop, and uh, uh, I'm always optimistic coming into the new year. We're going to – we always give it a try, and hopefully right. we get uh, a little more than 50% of the crop out if uh, the rest of the world doesn't get a chance to eat the other 50%. We <laughs> so got anyway. Got another quick call here, 953. Hi, who's this? Uh, this is Tom. Go ahead, Tom. And, uh, Hello, Tom. Hi, and my question is, when I plant in the spring, you know, I had the, the, the ground and everything was warmed up, and I put in some beans, I put in some peas, and it seems like something is getting to them before they have a chance to break through the dirt. And, and oh, really? Nothing's eating them under the ground before they germinate. Yes, uh, it might not. They may germinate. They may germinate for you, but we've got actually, we've got an insect out there that's the maggot of a fly. It's called seed corn maggot, and uh, actually, um, it picks up that name, corn maggot. But it is very, very detrimental to uh, green beans in particular, and also the legumes, the pea crops. So. Actually, it attacks uh, that uh, emerging shoot just as it, it comes out from the seed, or in some cases, uh, when it gets above the ground where we get them chopped off. So that's seed corn maggot, and uh, we don't have any type of um, labeled material for uh, pesticide for control. My advice would be to try to rotate. 
uh, put a different crop in there, plant your tomatoes or anything where you're coming from seed, coming from transplants rather than seed, and then uh, be very particular, careful about where you're going to plant the green beans as well as the uh, your pea crop. Both good crops for us, but mm-hmm. seed corn maggot, and that was very prevalent this last year, so you had a lot of company that way, Tom. <laughs> Try to move it. Uh, uh, move it to another garden plot, that'd be great. Certainly a, a different part of the garden this year, and hopefully we don't have that same same problem going forward. Yeah, I've got a small area, and I have rotated, moved it around. And uh, is there anything that I can do to the, amend the soil to make it not so welcoming for these uh, corn maggots? Well, um, you know, I mentioned uh, for the homeowner does not have any pesticides that I'm aware of that are are active down in the soil. They're overwintering in the soil. If you have a small area, uh, clip all that snow. Just shovel that along with the drive or blow it off, and let's have open Mm. soil there so that we can drive cold temperatures down so we can kill those larvae that are down in the soil. That would be my best uh, advice. I don't have any... Any other good recommendations if you can't move it out of the area, other than maybe leaving the uh, the bean family out of that plot for at least a year? Because mm-hmm. if they have nothing to feed on, then populations tend to decline. But it sounds like you got a resident population that's been going pretty strong there. So you can try a couple of things. But yeah. um, if, if it isn't too large, and if you're willing and need the exercise, uh, <laughs> clean every bit, of, every bit of snow off there. Let that cold get down there, even this weekend, zero and below. Mm-hmm. Let that penetrate. Let's try to let the, the cold penetration work for us in this case. Okay? There you go. Okay, so there's no... Okay, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. I guess uh, let the cold at the bugs, and they won't survive, hopefully, the uh, frigid weather coming up. That's right, and here we need, uh, he's got moisture down in the soil. We do need minus 20 or minus 25 to, to have that uh, be effective, but you can't have six inches of snow on the top because you right. never get those kind of cold temperatures down in the ground. So there's a non-chemical way. We really uh, we lost a couple of materials uh, that the homeowner used to have. They were sold over the counter for control of soil-borne insects. Don't have anything available right now. So he's going to have to stay strictly organic, and there's a, a technique you can try. Other than that, I suggested uh, stay away from the legumes entirely mm. for at least a year or two and just plant your tomatoes and sweet corn in that smaller pot, plot, and uh, hopefully that population will decline on its own. Or get out there with your tweezers and try to get each individual bug out of there. <laughs> there is a challenge, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that probably would be last resort. That is definitely less. That might All take right. some of the fun out of gardening. That <laughs> For me, it would at least. All right. Well, Bob, uh, I guess hang on to that tree as long as you can, then get it out for the birds, right? Yeah, and we were going to talk. We've got some great new introductions. We'll talk about the All-American plant selections Ooh. next week. We've got a couple of broccolis that have really caught my attention. I did mention one of the peppers. Peppers have become very interesting, and the breeders are working pretty hard. So we've got a new one there called Red Impact. I'll give you a little some of those details behind that, but also we've got some real intriguing uh, new broccolis, which we know we can grow in this area. So that'll All be right. fun. We'll we'll save that for next week. Sounds good, Bob. As always, thank you, and we'll catch you again next Tuesday. Certainly, the Bob Boland Show here on uh, KDIL. We'll check the forecast up next.